Let's get educated. That's why we're here, to bring you the stories impacting K-12 classrooms and college campuses. It's time for a little education. Hello everyone, I am Katie Petrick, joined as always by Mr. David Fiorazzo. Before we do get started, please make sure you have our Freedom Project Media app on your phone or tablet. It's free, by the way, and it allows us to notify you when new episodes are ready. Facebook is obviously not a big fan of us, so please <laughs> do download the Freedom Project Media app and allow for notifications. All right, well, we have a firestorm a brewing at Vanderbilt Medical Center where a series of leaked videos show doctors praising the massive uh, cha-ching, cha-ching moneymaker of transgender surgery and how that has become uh, a way for them. Good business, good business for them. All right, well, the moral of this story is it's immoral. Well, uh, the Bible says, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy, that the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And what we're seeing here, the hospitals say, hey, this transgender business, let's get in the money-making business. Are they concerned about the health of, of children? And, and No. So the headline, huge moneymaker, video reveals Vanderbilt's shocking gender care threats against descending, dissenting doctors. Now that's the second part of this. Wait till you hear this. If you're a doctor that doesn't go along with this, uh, you better not speak up. But let's watch this first video. Starting in January 1st of 2017, according to the Affordable Care Act, insurance carriers are mandated to cover medical expenses for trans folks. These surgeries make a lot of money. Um, so female to male chest reconstruction can bring in $40,000. Uh, a patient just on routine hormone treatment who I'm only seeing a few times a year can bring in several thousand dollars because that requires a lot of visits and labs. It actually makes money for the hospital. They're quoting roughly around $20,000 for a vaginoplasty, but that doesn't include your hospital stay. That doesn't include your post-op visits. That doesn't include um, your anesthesia, your OR, they're quoting around $20,000 for a phalloplasty. There's been different things that I've read that said it could be up to $100,000. Um, Dr. Winokur, who's our surgeon, said that there's entire clinics where the entire clinic is supported just by their phalloplasties. And that is like a fraction of the surgeries that they're doing. It, it's raining money for them. Wow. It was kind of hard to hear that, but yes. in case you didn't hear what she was saying it was uh that's the umc clinic for transgender health dr shane siebel taylor who said how it's a lot of money that they get and and taylor said that the chest reconstruction can bring in forty thousand it may have sounded like four thousand four zero thousand yeah. forty thousand dollars maybe twenty thousand each on each side per patient and someone just on routine hormone treatment who i'm only seeing a few times a year can bring in several thousand dollars and actually makes money for the hospital oh that's great okay oh and don't worry um also she cited the philadelphia center for transgender surgery and said that uh vaginoplasty surgeries can generate about you know twenty thousand dollars that's it that's oh i know only 20 but wait wait that's an underestimate right, because, right. I mean, that as she said, if you were able to hear, um, hospital stay, anesthesia, hopefully ching, you ching. have some anesthesia if you're having yeah. any yeah. And down there, uh, the post-op visits, ching, ching. other add-ons, other add-ons, other add-ons, all ching, other ching, add -ons. Ching. Yep. Ching, 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 it all absolutely. adds up. And, and, and as she may, if you heard that part, the female to male bottom surgeries, that's the huge money makers. 
as if 20,000, 40,000 of your dollars isn't enough. $100,000 for bottom female surgeries. to male bottom surgery. I mean, this is insane. And this is all coming to light because Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire yep. lives now in Nashville and he's been doing like all the work in the world this past year. He, I think he gets U.S. Citizen of the Year Award hmm. for basically highlighting all this mutilation that is happening to our children across the country. But since he's in Nashville and Vanderbilt, he wanted to take a look at and he, he found these videos. Yep. Like they're there and in the public. Amazing, amazing guys what we're finding out. And always remember what, what is being exposed now. This has been going on. How did it get to this point? That doctor just said, didn't suddenly appear one day at Vanderbilt and come up with this radical idea it's been the ground has been seasoned they've been laying out this for a long long time prepping it and already doing this now one hundred thousand dollars for the hospital for one person mm -hmm. one trans uh what was that bottom surgery right yes bottom um surgery. so well, there's a lot more we could say but we want to go to this next video because now here's one of the consequences uh, this this other doctor says if you don't want to do trans surgeries and you're a doctor at Vanderbilt, leave. Watch this. But I just want you to take home that saying that you're not going to do something because of your conscientious because of your religious beliefs is not without consequences. If you don't want to do this kind of work, don't work at Vanderbilt. Oh, oh, okay. So <laughs> tolerance. <laughs> so remember when doctors were said to take this little thing called a Hippocratic oath? What right? is that, by the way? It's, it's no something harm? where you're supposed to do no harm. Yeah. Yeah. What harm means these days? We'll never They've know. redefined harm. They too. have redefined harm. That right there in that clip was Vanderbilt Vanderbilt health law expert Ellen Wright Clayton, and again. Uh, she said that any conscientious objection will be met with consequences. Consequences. So, you know, they're going to, like, shift you around maybe a little while could, to try and appease you. But ultimately, yeah, better get out because they're not going to deal with you if you actually want to do no harm. All right. So here's another video, guys. Vanderbilt admits to not only what they are wanting to do, getting lots of money, but giving hormone drugs to 13-year-olds, watch. We can provide gender-affirming hormones on an individual who is on a pubertal blocker, depending on whatever kind of blocker they've chosen or we have discussed with them, or they can present to us at a later stage of puberty, and then we provide the gender-affirming hormones. Previously, the Endocrine Society recommended to start these at age 16, but we all know that would be delayed puberty, right? Not 16-year-olds don't start puberty. So more recently, they did update that to say as early as 14 for compelling reasons. So we have some individuals who have started gender-affirming hormones at 13 or 14 to be more like their peers. Okay, so so even they're even like lying on their little slideshow because she said <laughs> it, it went down to 14. But did you, hear, did you hear right at the end? She's like 14 or okay, 13. Yeah, yeah. This is unbelievable, friends. I, it really is. But it's happening. We don't enjoy reporting this, but you're going to see more and more and more of this unless more people speak out, raise awareness like what Matt Walsh and other parents are doing and get to your legislators. I don't care if you do live in a blue state, maybe some of them need to be voted out of office and you know, there is midterm elections coming up in November. Maybe that'll help.
All right, well, since you noted politics, still to come, we're not done with this story yet, as Governor Bill Lee has just ordered an investigation All right. into Vanderbilt's pediatric transgender clinic following the discovery of multiple videos. That's next. If you have a smartphone, tablet, Roku, or Apple TV, consider downloading the Freedom Project media app. It's 100% free and includes all of our weekly shows, plus lecture series, archive programs, and award-winning animated videos for families like the Presidential Minute, Battles of America, and Heroes of the West. Don't rely on the social media giants to keep you informed. Simply download the Freedom Project media app from your app store and allow notifications. And we'll let you know when a new video is ready. All right, we promised you there will be some follow-up and there are investigations at least in one state, hopefully more. But before we tell you about what's happening in Tennessee, this is gonna come down to whether you live in a red state or a blue state, often in some cases, because some, not all, politicians in blue states will say uh, they'll turn a blind eye, nothing to see here, move along. Transgender surgeries, young age, I don't care. But at least Governor Bill Lee is calling for an investigation of Vanderbilt's pediatric transgender clinic following Walsh's revelation. That's the headline, and um, this is a good thing, and we, we know now that the legislators are aware of the ethical and legal concerns, and he said, Lee says, this raises serious moral concerns. He reported, he responded to the Daily Wire. He said, quote, we should not allow permanent life-altering decisions that hurt children or policies that suppress religious liberties all for the purpose of financial gain. And isn't that the moralist what we're talking about today? This goes back to exactly how you started with what the Bible teaches. Money is okay. The Bible it can doesn't be say, used for yep, either. Yep. The Bible does not say you can't have money. I right. teach this in my economics course when I actually bring in uh -huh. uh, that verse and I say, hey, you can have money. It's the love of money. It's the, this is a right. huge money maker and especially at the expense of our children because the Bible also talks about being innocent as a child. Anyway, <laughs> so back to Vanderbilt. Uh, it's quite fascinating to me because we have, you know, Vanderbilt, I, I looked into them and they are ranked as one of the top doctoral universities with very high research activity. I say very high research and dissection activity at this point based on what they're doing to our children. Yep. But yes, at least because of what Matt Walsh did and brought light to what is happening at Vanderbilt, the politicians are paying attention. So you at home, mom and dad, if you want action to take place, you know, bring out of the darkness into the light oh. and see what happens. And that in yes. this instance, it drew the attention of not only the governor, but the state lawmakers so that they are actually taking a look at legislation um, about how to crack down on this, these child transitions, gender transitions. Um, and it's all because these videos were brought to light. So it's yeah. a good thing. And a part of this, by the way, that um, who was it? The governor said, um, this is important because those who are objecting, like Vanderbilt, you heard in the previous uh, segment, you heard that they're saying, well, leave the college then if you don't want to go along with this, if you're a doctor. Well, that's also an issue of religious freedom. Um, you should be able to say, well, wait a minute and raise a, an objection. But there's an update on this story, and it's a breaking news story from the Daily Wire. 
And the headline is, uh, Tennessee is looking at child gender transition legislation after Vanderbilt transgender videos released. So this is even a newer update than what we just shared about the governor there, Governor Bill Lee, calling for this investigation. So there's, there's good news and it's, it seems to, to be moving along, Katie. Yeah, and hopefully uh, Vanderbilt will finally stop doing what they're doing and get back to, I don't know, what's that thing? Education. Oh, that's right. That's what this is a college. This is a college. That's what they're <laughs> supposed to be doing. I'm t I was confused as they seem to be. Well, when we come back, a uh, North Carolina school board orders minors to leave the room before reading a disgusting sexual passage from one of the books available in the school. Stay with us. Today's show is sponsored by our friends at My Pillow. Save up to sixty-six percent on pristine quality bedding towels, slippers, signature pillows, and much more when you use the code EDUCATED. That's E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D, -E EDUCATED. Support this show and a great American company. Well, 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 there are some people some people, not at Vanderbilt University, as we've learned, but there are some people trying to make an attempt to protect our children, actually, from the insanity of our basically always adult world. Like, we've lost sight uh, that this world is made up of, like, adults and children, and then that yeah. as adults, we should be, you know, raising up our children. But now we're just trying to make everything adult immediately, a unless it means they have to pay back their student loans, and that's a whole nother <laughs> can of worm then. But anyway, we have um, a recent, I think it's Cabarrus County School Board in North Carolina. At their meeting, the chair of the board actually ordered uh, their teenage student interns, which I was kind of shocked that they have teenage student interns, but cool for them. Uh, <laughs> they were actually ordered to leave the meeting before a member of the school board was to uh, read a scene from a book that involved oral sex. Take a look. If we have high school students that are in here and we are saying that what we're getting ready to read is not even appropriate to be at a high school, we should be asking someone's parents if they are okay with their kids being in here to hear what we are, got, are about to read. So I do not feel comfortable um, leaving children in here under the age of 17. So how about I just go ahead and ask for our student interns that are here tonight for you just to step out. So before we even get to talking about, oh, what's the book and we'll have the passage of, of it, uh, it was quite interesting because right at the end there was actually the chair of the um, board. Her name is Holly Grimsley. She made a really interesting point it, that applies to school boards across the nation because when we're talking about books in libraries, in classrooms, in the curriculum, she, she views it as there's two ways. Like you're as the board, you're ultimately responsible because you're going to have the First Amendment folks who say that you have to have all the books available. They're going to fight you or sue you. Mm. And then you're going to have the uh, people who are like, you can't have any of these books because they're too graphic or whatnot. So yeah. you're, it's like <clears throat> they're going to sue you. So who do you please take a look at what she actually had to say? Can I just make clear, I'm not saying that I approve of the content that is in this book. I'm saying that I don't feel it's this board's job to r release this type of filth t into the public. Like we shouldn't be taking ownership of the filth that's in this book. You're right, but at the end of the day, if there are any lawsuits that take place one side or the other, we're supposedly violating First Amendment rights or freedom of speech, that may be one 
group that's looking at that that's the position they're taking or that we're distributing pornography and we've been told very clearly by our board attorney that absolutely could take place so yes ultimately if there is a suit it is us that's being sued yeah, she's not wrong because wow. that is exactly what happens. Well, let's let's talk about this specific book. Yep. Um, the book is actually from 2005, and you may have heard of it at this point because that was like 17 years ago. It's called Looking for Alaska. It's by John Green. It's an award-winning teen novel, and that book involves an oral sex scene that the board vice chair, Laura Blackwell, was to read before the board since there was a letter from 132 parents concerned that the board intended to ban the book and others from the school library. So basically, what happens, and this tends to happen through various um, schools, a book gets brought to light, one parent maybe brings it to light, and then either a bunch of parents say, oh, we need to get together and ban it, or mm -hmm. they say, oh, you need to review all the books in the library and that. So and that's kind of one of these situations they're trying to figure out at this uh, school district how to evaluate the book. So it goes even bigger than just this one book. But specifically, according to the letter at least, school administrators had removed several books uh, with minoritized subjects, characters, and or authors from classroom syllabi in individual teacher libraries last spring. The books were, were removed from, with input from school board members and the superintendent. And the letter, though, doesn't name which books actually were removed. But it's kind of like the school districts, again, going through this process and they're trying to, to figure it out. Well, parents in their letter also said that to be clear, we are not in favor of book bans, removals, or relocations under any circumstance because we trust the rigorous process by which books and other supplementary learning materials are initially brought into our schools by experts in the field of education. <laughs> there are maybe not necessarily experts in the field of education, but we'll give it to them. Uh, they say, we demand that full transparency be built into the policies prior to their adoption. Now, what I like about this, and again, we're going to get to the passage that was read in this book, so just hold on. Um, but what <laughs> I like be. about this is the parents seem to say, hey, we want full transparency. And the school board, in watching what they were talking about, at least at the school board level, they seem to want transparency and to be on the right page. <laughs> See what I did there? That was unintentional. Uh, they seem to be on the right page with one another. So I think they're just trying to figure out the process of what to go about. But specifically to this book, let's take a look. And if you have any young children in the room, you may want to have them go away as well. Let's take a look at what the passage is in this book. And then with me sitting watching the Brady Bunch, watching Marsha, 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 up to her Brady antics. Laura unbuttoned my pants and pulled my boxers down a little and pulled out my Wow, she said, what? She looked up at me, but didn't move, her face nanometers away from my It's weird. What do you mean weird? Just big, I guess. I can live with that kind of weird. And then she wrapped her hand around it and put it in her mouth and waited. What does this have to do with education? Seriously, here's where we are. And can I tell you something? A couple weeks ago on Christ and Culture, and which was part of this show too, I went to 1965 and uh, let Paul Harvey say, if I were the devil, and if you haven't heard that, please go back and watch it. Two years before that, in 1963, the, in the congressional record, the communist goals were read and put into the congressional record in 1963. Let me share with number 24. Goal number 24 was, con communist goal number 24, 
eliminate all laws governing obscenity by calling them censorship and a violation of free speech and free press. So isn't this the debate now, even the student council is having, Katie, is, oh, well, this is under free speech, but shouldn't the, shouldn't the kids, these are children, as they said, even though they're high schoolers. I'm glad they asked them to leave the room, but they're children, and this stuff is not appropriate. When did it become appropriate? You gotta go back to these goals and these agendas to dumb down the, the morality, and that's how the decline happened. All right. Well, before we go is up next and we're talking electric planes and a TikTok challenge that is so bad. The government has now issued a warning. Stick around. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment for Katie, David or any of our other show hosts, simply visit stayeducated.org. That's stayeducated.org and submit your question or comment. Our team loves to hear from you and might just give you a shout out on air. Again, visit stayeducated.org and connect with us. All right, before we go, let me ask you a question, Katie. Oh, yes, Right yes. now, would you fly in an electric plane? How far am I going? Uh, let's just say from... I don't know, just state that to the next state, Minneapolis. To the next state, know. maybe. Across the country, no thank you, I'll pass. <laughs> it should be a yes or no answer. You think? But, mm. Well, watch out friends to the north because uh, electric vehicles are taking to the skies as Air Canada, a friend of mine, uh, we refer to them as air turbulence, but Air Canada has just ordered 30 plug-in planes from a Swedish aircraft company called Hart Aerospace. The ES-30 electric hybrid regional aircraft can hold up to 30 passengers and has a travel distance of up to 248 miles before needing a charge. Air Canada says, quote, the revolutionary regional aircraft expected to enter service in 2028 will generate zero emissions flying on battery power. The electric planes will be powered by lithium ion batteries and be equipped with reserve hybrid generators. Prior to each flight, the planes will take up to 50 minutes to recharge. Katie, I'm not quite sold on flying thousands of feet above the ground relying on electric power, especially if I run out of double A's. Your thoughts? And you understand now why I said maybe I'll go to the next state, but not across the country because Oops, we're out of battery power. No, Boom. I think it's even gutsy go, being willing to go to the next state yeah, in these true. things. I, Flying. No, no. Oh, my goodness. All right. Speaking of electrifying everything, General Motors is launching an electric grocery cart. The Bright Drop Trace is a battery-powered cart designed for grocery delivery services that features nine temperature-controlled drawers. Its propulsion system can handle loads up to 350 pounds and reach speeds of three miles per hour. Uh, the compartments are lockable and the cart can be integrated into any store's app so it can be left for a customer to retrieve their own purchases using a special code. The electrified carts are expected to be available for purchase by businesses this fall. So, Katie, we seem to be living in a battery-driven world right now, apparently. Yeah, I'm just, could someone else just roll away with that cart and then just take like a sledgehammer I'm to sure it and open it up? It I, initially, before you said it was a 
like for grocery pickup, I'm like, where are my kids going to sit in the car? <laughs> anyway. All right, people, let's wrap things up with a public service announcement. You ready? Don't, I repeat, don't marinate your chicken in NyQuil. That is all. NyQuil chicken is a dish that involves marinating chicken in the cold and flu medication NyQuil with the intent of creating a meal that will treat sickness symptoms. NyQuil chicken, also known as sleepy chicken or bedtime chicken, has been discussed online for several years, but has recently spiked in popularity again thanks to TikTok. Seriously, this is how what we need now as human beings in the, the year 2022. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration just issued a warning about this after a new TikTok challenge surfaced for people to cook their chicken in NyQuil cough syrup. TikTok has already slapped a warning on the challenge known as hashtag sleepy chicken. Harmful eating challenges like this one uh, uh, follow previous trends such as, remember in 2018, the Tide Pod Challenge and the Cinnamon Challenge, which peaked in 2012. Katie, oh, cough medicine and, uh, and chicken marinating. Okay, I for, at first thought this was uncooked chicken and I almost vomited in my mouth, but I'm <laughs> at least thankful that they cooked the chicken. But the question is, which flavor do you pick? Do you go with the green or the red? I'm always a cherry, like NyQuil drinker, but green is what, menthol or something? Just. Well, the sleepy chicken, the, the red one is the day, I guess the daytime. Anyway, that wraps up this segment. More to come next time. I'm still. Ugh, that taste of NyQuil and raw chicken. Yes. Okay, I'm better now. All right, as we do prepare to put a bow on this little episode or some chicken on this episode, I want to share an answer to a question that was submitted on our stayeducated.org page. Because guess what? Just like I said, we read them. All of them. We do. So send them on in. Now, Lisa writes, Katie and David, you two mm, seem to be a great pairing on the show. Oh, Why, way. thank you. Thank you. Now, I've always <laughs> wondered if media personalities get along when they're not on air. I'm going to go with no, not in the least. <clears throat> Wrong. Or we do, and uh, we hang out, and I drink my coffee and wear my hat. I told you I wear Was my hat. Was that pumpkin spice coffee, by it the way? not pumpkin spice you, coffee. She didn't offer me any. Let it be known. <laughs> well, anyway... Thank you for the question, Lisa. And obviously, if you have a question or a comment, please do let us know by visiting stayeducated.org. For David and myself, thank you for watching, thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting what we do. Until next time, stay educated. Educated is directed and produced by Mike Menzel, hosted by Katie Petrick and David Fiorazzo. Makeup and hair by Katie Scholl. Graphics designed by Dan Kaler. Educated is owned by Freedom Project Media. See other shows and content at freedomproject.com or download the Freedom Project Media app. Copyright 2022.